Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Welcome to the Omega Particle Podcast. I'm your recovered and snowed-in host, Jonathan Wiegand. Um, I'm sitting behind the golden OPP microphone, the Doctor of the Lithium, the Anchorman of the Federation, streaming across all the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. Always remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And my gosh, 2022 has started off literally breakneck speed. Uh, I guess it's a warp speed. <laughs> Luna, that's a good joke. Yeah. She's always on my back. Either way, yeah, it's been super busy for me. I'm an accountant, so in accounting and finance, if you didn't know, this time of year is absolutely madhouse. We have uh, audits. We have year-end uh, things to do and reports and an- analysis to do, so it's just absolutely nuts. And then on top of that, being sick for two weeks because my son got sick, which means I got sick. <laughs> Finally recovered. I tried to actually record an episode and it was literally sounded terrible. Like I was very, it was awful. I was like, I can't put this out. They demand the highest quality from me and I can't let the OPP audience down. So not this time, only the best for you. And now we're back doing what we love and that's talking Star Trek, baby. And not only Star Trek, the interesting Star Trek, they're not going to get anywhere else. So I, I've, I've had this idea in the, in the crockpot of my mind for quite a while, and I'm so happy to start it. And this is the Strong Women of Trek series. So when I sat down in the beginning of the year and I planned out all the episodes for 2022, I was like, look, this is going to be just a maybe a sporadic episode throughout the year covering a strong, influential woman of Star Trek. Episode title says we're going to be covering Lucille Ball today. Um, in the future, we're going to do Nichelle Nichols, who played Uhura. I always pronounce that wrong. Um, Gates McFadden, that played Dr. Lou Beverly Crusher. Kay Mulgrew, Captain Janeway, etc. And it's going to be this great series because I think it's so vital to hear these particular women's stories and their struggles and what they've gone through. And in this particular case, with Lucille Ball, how she saved Star Trek twice which is nuts to me because I didn't know this before I started, like, really know the story until I started researching this episode. So really excited about it. And without further ado, yeah, Luna, let's light this candle. Okay, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I know with me... I've always liked strong women. <laughs> Not like physically strong. I mean, it's fine. Uh, I've gotten Encanto uh, images of, I forget her name. I don't even know. The strong one, the one with all the muscles. But I mean like personality, strong personality uh, of, of women. I just don't like doormats. I want women that speak their opinions and, and hear their thoughts. And I remember in high school, I dated this this girl and I'm not going to, tell your name because that's douchey of me but um and i seriously doubt she'll listen if she does that's kind of creepy 
but, but she was kind of a doormat <laughs> and she always agreed with everything I said and she never gave me her honest opinion or perspective and I didn't like that. So we're going to cover some of the best and the brightest female leads and characters in Star Trek or influencers in Lucille Ball's case <laughs> and um, cover their personal lives as well because I think that's super important to kind of see their own unique personalities come through and a lot of times in, in Star Trek, characters really don't branch out too much. Um, I mean, there are exceptions, but they usually, once they're in a role, they're in it for life. <laughs> and I think that's great and speaks to how awesome and, and loyal the fans are. But with this first installment of the series, I am wanted to cover somebody that's not actually in any Star Trek episodes, but I would say is the matriarch of all of Star Trek. And yes, she did influence and I would say save Star Trek twice and if it wasn't for this leading lady Lucille Ball we would not have Star Trek at all so it's very exciting to cover and tell this unique story a little little different than what we're normally used to on the OPP um if you listen to the how Voyager changed American politics forever episode kind of in the same vein um which if you haven't listened go listen to it's really cool basically Voyager shaped American politics and without Voyager who knows what the country would look like today <laughs> so let's get into Lucille Ball now our sources for this episode are a lot of different books and interviews but the main ones are the 50-year mission quote-unquote the first 25 years uh, Mark Cushman's history these are the voyages and a book called Inside Star Trek the real story written by Robert Jessman so if you have no idea who Lucille Ball is and you looked at the episode title and listened so far, you're like, who is this? And that may be true. Like, um, I know not every, I'm a, an, an elder millennial. Is that the term? Like Luna, is that? Okay. <laughs> so I'm a little bit older millennial. So I remember the age of no internet and having to watch reruns and having classic TV on. And so Lucille Ball was pretty much the undisputed queen of television in the 1950s and 1960s. She has a place in television history with her immortal sitcom, I Love Lucy, which ran from 1951 to 1957. Like I said, it was a mortal sitcom. If you've ever seen a clip of somebody on a conveyor belt and chocolates eating them and, and like throwing them away or stuffing them in their shirt, that was Lucille Ball's like creation. That was her idea, her comedy. So like I said, she was the undisputed t queen of television. And due to that success of her blockbuster hit, um, who actually did co-star her then-husband, Desi Arnaz, it allowed the couple to buy a former studio called RKO Studio adjacent to the Paramount lot in Los Angeles, I think in 1957. Yeah, that's right, Luna. So they were able to buy the studio, and I think that's kind of a smart thing to do with their money. They know television really well. They can help produce it. They can help make it. And they named their new company Desilu Productions, I guess, because Desi and then Lucy bought it and they comboed their names. <laughs> Thankfully, our name, our parents don't name us like that because it'd be awful. I'd be like, Rajikur or Regurgit. <laughs> like, no, not doing that. And I don't want to say my parents' names because then I'll have a bunch of fake credit cards open. So forget that. Just kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke, Luna. Relax. Anyway, um, so Lucy always had this idea 
that she had a great eye for spotting proposals for mass appeals. Their company, Desilu Productions, were responsible for producing and filming those kind of series. Now, I would say she absolutely true. She had an eye for it. They produce shows like The Andy Griffith Show and The Dick Van Dyke Show, or as Family Guy likes to call it, It's The Van Show! I, when I was doing my research, I was like, I have to include that. Like, how could I not include that? <laughs> um, anyway, sorry to derail the conversation there. So Desi and Lucy bought RKO Studio and they made their own Desilu production, Desilu Studios with that. Um, however, they actually divorced in 1960 and Lucy bought out all of her husband's share of um, the firm in 1962, which made Lucy the most powerful woman in television and the first woman to own a studio in Hollywood. So not only is she this immortal icon on television, but she made rampant strides in an area of American history that women weren't necessarily doing that. So very hats off to her. That's amazing. And according to her daughter, in an interview, she kept all of the same staff as before. And she really wanted the studio to feel like family. So after the divorce and she became full owner, she kept all the same staff, kept all the same uh, production analysts, et cetera, et cetera. She didn't want to really have anything to do with the business. She only cared about the shows and the content that they were producing. When I tell you the future story of how she saved Star Trek and back, Oh, that's why. <laughs> so just giving you background on that is that she really cared about the shows, not so much the business part of it. However, um, there was a lot of shows being shot at Desilu, but the studio was in dire need of like an original show, original programming, because they kind of had this massive hit called The Untouchables that ended in 1963. So they were just okay, what's the next one? We got to keep producing. We got to keep producing. And Herbert Solo, <laughs> Solo, uh, Solo, that's, that's how it's pronounced, Luna Solo, um, was hired to help locate new projects for the studio. And he brought two noticeable proposals to the studio in 1964. One was the show Mission Impossible, which we know turned into this massive franchise in the mid-90s and even up to today, they're producing Mission Impossible movies. But the other one was this quirky sci-fi show made by Gene Roddenberry. Roddenberry, in an interview, said that he admitted that Desilu was the only studio interested to hear his pitch on Star Trek. He even continues that, that they were only interested in Star Trek because they had gone five years without selling a pilot and they were desperate. <laughs> so, so I don't know if it was out of desperation or what, but, um, Desilu got the pilot and then they started shopping it around. And Lucy, of course, was on CBS with I Love Lucy and produced a lot of great shows for CBS, but CBS said no to Trek. So they took it to NBC and NBC, and this is after interviews, comes out that they were desperate to work with Ball because she was a superstar whose show was on the rival network, CBS. So they wanted to have a science fiction show in their programming because they were one of the few people that didn't have one on the air. So it's like, great, we can work with Lucille Ball. 
and take a show from one away from one of our rivals. And then number two, and we can finally get a sci-fi show in our lineup because we didn't have one. And now if you're saying, why does it matter if they have a sci-fi show in their lineup? It's because, of, and I don't, in the 1960s, sci-fi were everywhere. Um, I mean, you had the Twilight Zone, you had Outer Limits, Lost in Space, a show called My Favorite Martian. I mean, it was littered across all major programming to have sci-fi. And NBC was outside in the cold, so they brought in some Star Trek. A fun side note doing my research is that apparently, according to Solo, um, Lucy thought that Star Trek was about USO performers. That she assumed that stars, quote-unquote, meant actors and actresses, and Trek, quote-unquote, meant going on a journey, hence stars traveling on a USO tour. I mean... I can see that connection, maybe, because, I mean, at that point, there really wasn't anything like it on television. That what's made it so successful to this day. Solo admitted that a lot of people were confused about Star Trek, kind of like with Lucy, and that people were consistently telling him, hey, this is a bad bet. You're going to lose a lot of money on this show. That it's going to be way too complicated to shoot. It's going to be so expensive to produce. Why even try it? And Lucy's support for the show was the entire foundation for getting it produced because Lucy overruled the board of directors to make sure that the first episode and the first pilot was actually produced. So she continually said, no, we're going to keep doing it. We're going to do it. Get the pilot. I don't care how expensive it is. Let's get the pilot. Remember when I said that she didn't care about the business, she cared about the shows. This is why. (laughs) Because she didn't, she's like, I don't care how much it costs, make it. So she saved Star Trek by footing the bill and making it, overruling her board of directors, number one. Number two, her support was even more critical when NBC rejected the initial pilot, the very first episode of Star Trek, called The Cage in early 1965. And NBC ordered a second pilot, this time having Shatner as Kirk. Isn't that so weird that like, that's the actual history of it. Look, they made this pilot with Captain Pike. It was awful. (laughs) They scrapped it, reshot it again with Shatner and they kept it. Now Pike has his own show in Strange New Worlds. Like that's a really weird, like we could have easily just been like, okay, just forget that first episode and just move on with our lives, you know? But no, like we'll just make a whole series about it make this make Pike a great, great captain. NBC ordered a second pilot, like I said, but the second pilot actually got picked up and NBC ordered 16 episodes, which made the board of directors at Desilu Studio freak the F out (laughs) because they actually asked Ball multiple times, don't produce the show. It's way too expensive. And not only was it expensive, but it would probably bankrupt the studio. Again, Lucille Ball, with her balls, said, Nuh-uh, we're going to produce and make a 16-episode season for Star Trek. So she overruled her board of directors' wishes, and Star Trek made the fall 1966 schedule, and the pilot won its time slot, and it suffered in the ratings later, as we all know. However, I thought this was really cool. I was watching an old interview And a former studio executive named Ed Hawley 
told Desilu historian that if it weren't for Lucy, there would be no Star Trek today. And that's really true. So not only did she save it the first time, saying, hey, I'll foot the bill. I know it's expensive. We're going to do it. I'm going to overrule you. She was the only person in Hollywood that could make that call. And then second, when the studio said, we don't want to produce 16 episodes for the first season, they said, too bad. I'm going to do it and overrule you guys again. Unfortunately, Lucille Ball's staunch defense of Star Trek came with a staggering price. And that price is that Ball lost her studio because of Star Trek. (laughs) And you're like, well, how could it? It was going to be the successful show. Well, this is how. By the second season, Lucille Ball knew that Star Trek was going to be this massive, massive hit. So she kept fighting for it and footing the bill no matter how much it cost. And in her mind, she was like, I really need to keep putting up this fight no matter what, because it's going to be a successful show. It's going to be huge, but we need to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. Again, the Desi Lu studio execs and the board of directors told her to drop it. It's going to ruin the studio. You can't do this. And halfway through the second season, their predictions became a reality, unfortunately. And Ball was forced to sell Desi Lu Studios. So Star Trek had been on the air less than a year when Lucy sold her studio to the new owner of Paramount Pictures. And it later became Paramount Television. And in one of the the Cushman book I referenced at the beginning of the, the episode said that the worst part about this entire situation was that if Desi Lu Studios could have held on a little bit longer, maybe made it to through that second season, they might have been able to enjoy all of the Star Trek success and the wealth and the expanse that came with that. I mean, within a year of Star Trek being on the air, it went in syndication in over 60 countries. So if the studio could have found the money to keep producing the show through its second season, they would have recouped their losses. But they couldn't hang on that long. Then they sold it. And Paramount has reaped all the financial benefits associated with that, even though Lucille Ball fought years to the nail to get Star Trek made and then to keep it on the air for the first season and a half. It's now part of CBS Television Studios, um, connected to the same network that gave Lucy her start. So in a way, it's kind of all cyclical, you know. <laughs> but what could have happened, you know, if Paramount didn't buy it and Desi Lu Studios would have held on? We don't know. But that is the story of how Lucille Ball saved Star Trek twice. And in my opinion, is the matriarch of the entire fandom. She wasn't in the show, but she made the show. All right, Luna, let's wrap it up. I mean, that is a kind of a crazy concept to think about. Like, what if Paramount didn't buy Desi Lu? And, you know, what, what, if Desi, what if they held on? I mean, think about that. Paramount definitely used a lot of their 
influence and, and the reaping of the benefits from Star Trek to help bolster the studio. So what if Paramount didn't have all that money? What if they didn't have all those, that cash in their coffers from Star Trek? Who knows? And to me, the only thing I think about is, would have Raiders of the Lost Ark been made? Because <laughs> it's like, Paramount made it in the 80s. Star Trek has given them a lot of money from the 60s to the 80s. Would they have made Raiders of the Lost Ark? Or would have another studio made it? Or would have been passed on? Or who Desilu would have made it? I don't know. But it's fun to think about. <laughs> you know, it's fun to think about. And always remember, guys, as we wrap up today, to rate, review, and subscribe. We're on all the social medias. Like I'm, I always mention, we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can just type a Mega Particle podcast in there and you'll find us. Please be safe out there with COVID and Omicron. Omicron. It's Omicron. <laughs> it's the Omicron. Um, I think there was like a GIF or something. It's like Star Trek people know how to pronounce Omicron. Anyway, please be safe out there. There's a lot of snow, a lot of bad weather, COVID going on. Just remember that. And we also have our Dominion series coming up, which is going to be exciting. So if you've never watched DS9 and have no idea, this is going to be super helpful for you. And always remember, guys... Second star to the right, straight on till morning.